Welcome back to another episode of Immigrant Stories with Phoebe, where we talk about, you know, all things immigrants. I'm your host, Phoebe Brackwell-Wusu, and it's my honor to be in your ears today. Happy Black History Month to you all. Yes, we are black every month, but in February, we are blackity black, 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 okay? <laughs> I hope you all do something lovely to, to, to celebrate I know that the corporate, you know, companies, everybody is sending out all these emails. And I'm like, where were these emails last year and the year before, huh? I'm kind of side-eyeing some of y'all, but hey, it's all good. All right, so last week we talked about names and we got some wonderful feedback on the episode from our loyal listeners. Thank you so much for that, really. I truly appreciate that. And I I went on and uh, continued the conversation on Instagram. And if you don't follow me, you may not have seen it, but my my friend um, shared this tweet with me that um, just it just cracked me up. And so I wanted to share that with y'all. She um, she sent me this this tweet and it said, um, let me pull it up here. The, the tweets came from the Growing Up Asian account on, on Instagram. Just want to give some, some credit there. And um, it said, thinking about a girl from camp 15 years ago called Shu, whose name this other girl named Brittany refused to pronounce and gave her the nickname Sunny. And how Zhu, as revenge decided to pretend she couldn't pronounce Britney either, and so she called her Bing Bong. (laughs) She called her Bing Bong instead. (laughs) See, Shu's pettiness is the kind of pettiness that I aspire to have one day. I just thought that was hilarious, and so I thought I would share with you all. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Today's immigrant of the week is Melo Hogan. Melo is an immigrant from the Philippines and someone that 2020 brought my way that I've, you know, I've come to really admire a lot. She's a realtor who has a huge heart for the community. And uh, Melo frequently spends time volunteering and, and feeding our displaced neighbors in the community. She's also very passionate about supporting women leaders and business owners, uh, women business owners. And she runs this group that's called uh, Tacoma Boss Ladies. And she's amazing at what she does. So you can find her on Instagram as uh, melohogan.realtor. That's M-E-L-O-H-O-G-A-N dot realtor, R-E-A-L-T-O-R on Instagram. And you know what? Melo Tacoma, Washington is blessed to have you over here as a resident. You are awesome. You rock. We've heard a lot from immigrants since this podcast started, and I thought about a group that we haven't really heard from, that I think we we need to hear from and, you know, maybe learn a thing or two from. That group is the Children of Immigrants. I had the pleasure of speaking to two of them, and I hope that you enjoy hearing their stories just as much as I did. Wendy is a child of immigrants from Ghana, 
and Andy's parents are from Vietnam. Take a listen. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So let's start off with you telling us, your name's Andy, obviously, but tell us about yourself and where you're from. Yeah, hi. So uh, let's see. Um, well, I am from Auburn, Washington. Um, I identify as a queer uh, Vietnamese American. Uh, my family is from Vietnam, uh, more specifically uh, South Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So have you been to Vietnam yet? I have, actually. Yeah. Um, this was, oh my gosh, this was such a long time ago. I think I was either seven or eight, but mm. that was when we went to Vietnam. And that was my first and so far only time uh, going to Vietnam. I see. I see. So, Andy, what level immigrant would you say you are? First gen, second gen? Which of the gens do you find yourself in? Yeah, I mostly identify as first generation. Uh, first, both me okay. and my uh, my older sister, we both identify as first gen. I see. I see. I see. That's great. So since going home um, around seven, have you been able to make it back home? Uh, unfortunately, we have not. Um, okay. Just, you know, it wasn't in the cards for yeah. my family to really go there because it's just with everyone's busy schedule, um, me currently being in school, um, my sister, both my parents working so much, mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. like how expensive it can be. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. Very soon though, we do plan on going back. We can have a whole conversation about how expensive it is to go back home. And oh the fact gosh, that absolutely. I have, yeah, I've come to an understanding of why people don't go back home um, as often because it's so pricey and the journey is quite long too, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. It definitely takes like so much planning in advance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So Andy, tell us about your experience growing up as, as a child of an immigrant or, you know, I should say in an immigrant household. Yeah, so initially, I just think about how me and my sister grew up and me and my sister, you know, just getting older and then just more so like uh, putting ourselves into our identities as Vietnamese, uh, as children of Vietnamese immigrants. Mm -hmm. We, we've had many conversations about this, but we kind of just realized that, yes, we did grow up differently. Um, and by differently, I mean that, you know, looking at different families, uh, like the one quote unquote comment or like compliment I've always gotten was, wow, you two are really well trained. It's almost mm. like you guys are robots, like all these kinds of things. Mm. And so from that, like we like I do understand that uh, me and my sister grew up with expectations. And I don't know if I would necessarily say like high expectations. Others probably would but you know we did grow up with a certain level of expectations and I guess discipline you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right because I just um we tried to reflect back on how my parents grew up you know and it's the way that they grew up it was just really something else and it's something that I can't imagine mm -hmm. for my life or let's say if I have children of my own but it's just very much traditional very strict very much, um, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. Mm. Um, the parents' word is absolute. 
just like all these different things that we could just tack on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. it was definitely very interesting to see how me and my sister grew up because we are very privileged to have been raised by parents who saw the way that they grew up and then decided, no, we won't raise our children that way. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. So when you talk about like the different standards and expectations that they had, what would you say were some of them? Were they around education, say, like social skills, things like that? Oh, right. Absolutely. Education. That was like the biggest one, I would say. Um, it's very much a privilege for me and my sister to have been raised with such standards because we both, um, we both, you know, excelled in school. We both had high expectations for ourselves to mm -hmm. excel in school. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like looking at me, my sister's education, like I'm very proud of where I am. I'm proud of where she has gone and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, my sister, she completed her, uh, four year degree in, uh, nursing. Nice. Um, she, yeah. She completed that, I believe like a year and a half or two years ago. Okay. Um, and she's, yeah, she's currently working as a registered nurse, which, you know, we're, everyone is just very proud of her and proud of mm -hmm. her accomplishments and her work especially now during um, this pandemic. And I'm proud of, like, you know, where I'm going in my education. Um, but, yeah, that was definitely just, like, a very big standard, mm -hmm. a big standard that we had on ourselves. Um, yeah, and I don't know. It, it may have set us up for, um, uh, how do I want to say this? You know, like, when we have, like, such big standards for ourselves and yeah. maybe a day or two or maybe times at a or moments at a time we don't have to, like succeed at those mm -hmm. expectations for ourselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that can be kind of hard but it's it's really reassuring to have parents who support us no matter what yeah 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 that makes sense so how would you say you know your upbringing was was different you know from your perception of the average for example like an american household what are some of the main differences you noticed growing up I want to look at like what I thought was like the average like American household and mm -hmm. I'll even say like the average like white household. Mm -hmm. Like religiously, I just growing up, I've always heard about God and Jesus and Christianity. And I'm not going to lie, like I did not know what those words were mm -hmm. when I was growing up. I was mm -hmm. like, I don't know what that means. Like what's Christianity to be very frank. Because um, both my parents and my sister identify as Buddhist, and I was raised as a Buddhist. Mm. Um, however, um, probably around six years ago, I stopped following the tradition and the practice. Um, but yeah, that's how I was raised, and that's how I grew up. And it, with Buddhism, it's a very... To me, it's a very straightforward, kind of simple practice. Mm -hmm. Um but just, you know, with the practice that we've had throughout the year, um, so probably uh, during uh, uh, Lunar New Year's and going to the Buddhist temple and everything, mm -hmm. I, just, I just never understood it within myself. And I just didn't know if I could believe in this higher power. I, I like, it was all just very, it all felt kind of foreign to me where I just, mm. I wasn't, I, I didn't know what it meant for me to be following this practice and following this religion mm -hmm. and you know not to like chalk it up to my parents to like just forcing this upon me um but it, I just it just wasn't something that I chose for myself and okay you know 
maybe like later down the line in the future, maybe I'll go back to the practice. Um, but yeah, that was just something that I just really didn't understand growing up was mm. Christianity and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, even in school when people were like, oh, you don't know this reference, like XYZ reference to the Bible. And I'm like, no, I didn't because that was not part of my household. That wasn't part of my life. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds um, different from what people were, you know, talking to you about or bringing up when you were in school. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. even even if I were to think about other uh, Asian households that I knew, like some friends that I knew growing up, growing up, I could tell that my parents versus their parents were just very much built different, you know, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. I can see for them that they were raised in that traditionalist household where, you know, you are to be, you are to follow every word the parent says, you are mm -hmm. to not heard, very much so. And mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. and then, you know, having these people in my life, like I can see the repercussions that right. it has on them. So, yeah, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. So how would you say you're managing your bicultural identity as a child of an immigrant? You know, I, I've heard you talk about your parents and everything, or do you feel like you have a bicultural identity? I guess I would say up until, probably up until I uh, started college uh, three years ago-ish, I guess before then I wouldn't really say I had a bicultural identity. Like, it was just, it wasn't something that I necessarily want to say that I repressed or mm -hmm. I kind of rejected. Um, but yeah, it was just something that I just, I couldn't understand it for myself I just didn't know what it meant for me to be an Asian American mm -hmm. uh, and then you know just going to college and seeing people of all different backgrounds and then saying well for myself when people see me they don't see me as Andy they see me as an Asian man mm -hmm. you know? and so mm -hmm. I'm trying to think like what that means for me and mm -hmm. then Definitely, like, learning how to, like, communicate more so with my parents, because I would also say that was, like, probably the biggest shift for my family mm. was, for, was when I went off to college. And just communicating more so with my family and then just understanding even, like, what my family went through, like, what traumas my mom and dad faced when they were in Vietnam. And then I'll be very frank, um, both my parents immigrated here. Uh, my dad... Um, he immigrated here uh, by boat. And so mm. essentially that's how he came across. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of disheartening for me to not have known what my dad went through. Mm. You know, mm. like, yeah. it's something that I never really asked him. You know, he may mention it like once or twice. And I don't believe he's very like adverse to telling us. Like, I think he wants to tell us. He just mm -hmm. probably doesn't know how either. And yeah. I don't know how to ask him hmm. or how to really internalize that, like what it meant for my dad to go through that. Yeah. It's not a hard, it's not an easy trip. At all. At all. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And then even for my mom, for her to uh, immigrate when she was around probably 14, 15, 16, um, and then for her to come here to in uh to America, like what that meant for her to be leaving like her country and mm -hmm. then um just the way that she was 
brought up to it was not any different than if she were to have stayed in Vietnam. It was she was still stuck in this traditionalist household. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that would be really neat to hear your father's story and how he how he tells it and talks about the the trauma of moving from home to here and the way that he did he made that move. Right. Yeah. I hope that one day you're able to sit and talk with him about that. That would be so yeah. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's definitely something I do want to know. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sharing this with us. Of course. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. Right now we have Wendy. And um, Wendy, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for making time for Emmy Stories with Phoebe today. And so let's get right into it. Introduce yourself to tell us who you are and where you're from. So my name's Wendy. Um, I'm 20 years old. I live in Auburn, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And where are you from? I'm from Ghana. You're from Ghana. Okay. All right. So tell us what, what level immigrant do you feel like you are? You know, whether first gen, second gen, where do you f- think you fit into all the different generations? Uh, so I always uh, thought or assumed that I was first generation mm-hmm. as far as like my citizenship. Like I was born in America first, like my parents weren't born here. So mm-hmm. that's how I always identified and like I have friends like from high school who also like felt the same way. So that's how we always identified ourselves. But then like, there are all these technicalities of like, okay, immigration, like are my parents technically first generation because they are the ones who immigrated here and started us here. Mm-hmm. Am I like, mm-hmm. yeah, it just goes into all those different technicalities. And then like in high school, like, I always thought I was first generation because, okay, I'm the first one born in America. I'm the first one going to college in America, like straight from high school and all these mm-hmm. other things. But mm-hmm. then I had friends, like when we were writing our personal statement, like, oh, I'm the first to go to college in my family. And I'm the first to like speak English in my family and all these other things. And I was like, oh, maybe, so then maybe I'm not first gen. Cause like my parents mm-hmm. went to school in Ghana, like they went to college in Ghana and they spoke mm-hmm. English before they came here anyway. Mm-hmm. So then it was just like, uh, who am I? So I feel like post high school, even outside of that, that like outside of that specific experience, I've always just called myself first generation. Mm-hmm. I, I probably call myself a first generation American, like Ghanaian American, not necessarily mm-hmm. a first generation immigrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's it's really cool that you're bringing up the technicality of it because when you think about the term, you know, when you think about first generation, it typically mm-hmm. talks about people who were born in a, in a different country and then, you know, immigrated. So mm-hmm. they, they look at them as the first group of people that come in. But at the yeah. same time, I feel like, hey, you can define it how you want, really. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So talk to us about your experience growing up as, the, as a child of, of immigrants um, from Ghana and also, you know, in an immigrant household. Oh, wow. Um, there, I just feel like there's so like that's such a large umbrella mm-hmm. of things that you can talk about. Well, okay, let me speak for myself. So I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the oldest daughter, and then the other two, and then like we have a younger brother. So my brother's the youngest of us us three. So I feel like just that alone 
is its own dynamic that you can talk about because since I'm the oldest, I'm like automatically second mom. Mm-hmm. And even though there's not a big gap, so there's me and then my sister's three years after me and then my brother is four years after her. So between me and my brother, that's seven years. So I feel like that age gap, I was like, okay, now I'm mom, like go time. Yeah. I'm cleaning, I'm getting homework done. I'm checking on the dishes, the laundry, the this, the that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is something. And then compared to the fact that he's a boy, yeah. you know how boys are treated, just mm-hmm. completely different. Mm-hmm. And they're more lax on like, oh, you don't have to do the dishes. Oh, my son, you don't have to do the this. Oh, you don't have to do that. I'm like, um, no, <laughs> we're not. We are not doing that here. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. Like here, like you mm-hmm. will do your dishes. You will do your laundry. Yeah. It will yeah. get done. So yeah. I feel like that's its own bubble and then just when I look at luckily like where I grew up even though it was pretty predominantly white I had a lot of friends of color who were also like in my position so either like their parents immigrated here they were the ones born here or they were also the oldest daughter and had like younger siblings so I felt like that was helpful in having friends who like I could come and complain about these things and they like understood it to a T and they're like yes I feel you right I'm like thank you So that's also been like encouraging, but then this is just me personally. I think trying to fit into the, okay, I'm in America and I'm seen as black Mm -hmm. and then to black people, I'm African. So that's already different. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. going to visit in Ghana when I don't really speak any of the languages, but I can understand them, but I'm really just speaking English. Then I'm American to them. So then mm-hmm. just trying to, huh, where do I fit in this kind of just going back in these awkward three spaces? I'm just like, wow, where am mm-hmm. I? Where am I fitting? So just going back and forth, I feel like that was a lot of like high school and like that first year of college. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, who am I? Where do I fit in all of this? Because people back home say this and my parents say this and my other first like first generation friends say this and then african-americans say this and Ghanaian americans or nigerian americans say this like there's just so many places you could pull from to try and get an answer and i feel like you just won't <laughs> like yeah 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 sounds very complex very yeah and how do you think your your growing up experience you know with being in an immigrant household was different from your perception of the, the average say like american household Um, I think there's a lot of different things. So I think first, just like remembering like elementary school or middle school, like having your older family members live with you was something that is just not common here, like having a multi-generational household. So grandma was living with us and grandma's sister was with us or like aunties and this and that. And it was very normal for one, not them to live with you, but also for them to like correct you. Like if you're doing something wrong, like that is very Mm -hmm. normal in -hmm. our cultures or just other like ethnic cultures, I'll say. But then to go to, like, a white friend's house and their grandma wasn't living with them or, like, them get in a fight and have not another adult, like, step in and say, hey, like, you can't talk to your mom like that. Like, just very different as far as, like, in America, I feel like we focus on the nuclear family of mom, dad, brother, sister. Yeah. And then in other cultures, it's like, no, auntie can come correct you. Uncle can come correct you. Grandma can come correct you. And it's seen as normal. Yeah. 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 So there's this like shared child rearing almost that happens Mm -hmm. 
in the multi-generational households. And I remember even for me, when my mother was moving in with us um, some years ago, a lot of my friends um, and people that I knew who knew about it were just kind of, are you sure this is a good idea? Are you uh-huh. going to, are you going to be okay? You know, that sort of thing. But for us, it's a pretty normal thing. Cause normal. if my mom doesn't live with me, like where is she going to go live? Exactly. And then like having friends that are like, Oh yeah, my grandma lives in this nursing home. And I would just mm-hmm. be like, um, what? Like she's not in your house. Yeah. You don't share a bed yeah. with her. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you don't sleep with her at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Right, 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 yeah. And you kind of started hinting on it, but, you know, I'm curious about how you, you manage your, your bicultural identity as a child of an immigrant, especially, you know, when it comes to your relationship with your parents. I know you've talked about kind of going back and forth between um, here and, and Ghana. You know, are there any particular struggles that you've had, um, you know, like around bonding and things like that? I think, like, more recently now that obviously I'm older and, like, I see my parents as people and not just mom and dad, it's uh-huh. been easier to start to have those conversations. Like I know a few months ago, me and my mom were just like talking about like my school set schedule and um, all these other things. And she was like, if I was in Ghana and my professors would pick what classes you would take and you had no say, had I come to America when I was your age, I would have done this, 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 and this. And I was like, I did not ask you to born me here in America. So please, mm-hmm. please I did not <laughs> ask you to birth me here. And she started to laugh. And I was like, I understand this may be funny to you, but like, this is something that I felt like I've had to figure out on mm-hmm. my own. So mm-hmm. for you to talk about how, oh, well, if we were in Ghana, then it would have been this, this, and this. Okay. Why did you mm-hmm. not birth us there? Why are mm-hmm. you coming to birth us here? And then hold it over my head when mm-hmm. you want to correct me. So that's a conversation mm-hmm. we've started to have, which is painful, but I know it has to happen Yeah, for me to get kind of just like a sense of relief that I know yeah. my younger self has been looking for, but like mm-hmm. also having the courage to start to have those conversations with my parents like now mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. yeah, different because my yeah. younger self would be like, oh, that's just mom and dad and they just work and come home and we cook and we sleep. But now I'm like, Oh no, like my parents are people who I have their flaws that have their, this mm-hmm. and that, and like have their own struggles. And now they are also working through those while trying to raise children in a completely mm-hmm. different country. Mm-hmm. 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 Without probably the support that they're used to having in their lives too. At all. And just like culturally completely different. Like you have America telling you it's all about you, your time, your money, whatever you want, go get it. And then you just have a completely different culture. That's like, um, no, like the community is your home. Togetherness Mm -hmm. is your home. Like you can't just go and do things by yourself because Mm -hmm. if someone catches you, like you don't represent you, you represent mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, auntie, grandma, everyone. Like they see you and see your whole lineage where here I can walk around and they're like, Oh, there goes Wendy. But if an auntie saw me somewhere, they'd be like, oh, that's Ivy's daughter. Now I have to call Mm -hmm. Ivy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now I have to call Ivy, and I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times that my siblings and I got in trouble for things like that. And Mm -hmm. just being so conscious. Like, you know, I I didn't grow up here in America, but, you know, growing up in Ghana, when you were out somewhere you weren't supposed to be, Uh you would, you know, it was just a matter of time before somebody saw you (laughs) and snitched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that. And so there is that sense of community. And would you say, you know, you're able to replicate that kind of community here with maybe like fellow Ghanaians or fellow Africans, fellow immigrants? 
I think just because of where I live, it's mostly just like friends of other ethnic backgrounds. But like we've mm-hmm. had, we've definitely had like that shared sense of community. And me and my friends talk about this kind of stuff all the time, which is also yeah. so nice. Like to have friends that like understand this on a personal level, but then yeah. like want to talk about like, okay, but how has this actually shaped us? And like when we go back to our parents and we go and visit our homelands, like how does that, what are we carrying with us? And I think that's been yeah. very helpful because I'm not, I'm starting to get closer to my parents. Yes. But like my parents weren't growing up as non-white teenagers in white mm-hmm. America. Like they were, mm-hmm. yes, they went through teenage struggle, but like everyone looked like them going through the yeah. teenage struggle. So yeah. to go through your teenage adolescence years with people who look nothing like you <laughs> and like trying to grasp for some type of, community within that was very difficult but luckily yeah. like I did find friends that though we were all from Ghana like we were all from wherever we were mm-hmm. able to like find the similarities within our cultures and talk about those things like that was very helpful yeah that's awesome I like that you have that that sounds great well Wendy thank you so much for your time and thank you for being on Emmy Stories with Phoebe of course thank you so much for having me Okay, I'm back. A lot of times when we think about the children of immigrants, we think about the cross-cultural experiences. We, we think about the stories we've heard of parents who are trying to raise their kids, you know, outside of their home countries and trying to instill some of the ways of their home and their kids and their kids being resistant and, you know, trying to, in this case, be quote-unquote Americanized. I'll never forget growing up and uh, going to visit my family in in London, and my my cousins would like share these stories of how, you know, they were raising kids at that time, and so they would share stories of how, you know, their their kids would test them, their kids would try them because they knew that they had systems protecting them over there that we weren't used to having in Ghana, and so you know there were so many stories of them, you know, their friends' kids whenever they would, you know, scold them or spank them or, you know, like try to discipline them, like, yeah, I'm going to call the police <laughs> and, um, you know, things like that. And a lot of times when we think about children of immigrants, that's where our minds go to. And I, I guess from listening to Wendy and to Andy today, we're realizing that, you know, things are a little more complex than that. I hope you had a nice time um, listening to them and hearing, hearing their stories. I also imagine that being the child of an immigrant comes with a lot of responsibility. Not only do you have your parents and their expectations, in many ways it feels like you have the expectations of your entire community. The entire Ghanaian community is looking at you like, okay, what are you also going to come and do? What are you going to offer to us? And how are you going to bring glory to us? And so you're trying to keep up with, you know, this place you call home, this new country that you find yourself in. And then there's also these voices and these standards that come from your mom's people, your dad's people. And I imagine that that is so, so hard. I, I, I'm a first gen, um, immigrant. So I can't say that I totally understand or know what it's like to be the child of an immigrant. 
um, in that direct sense. My parents are immigrants now, but we kind of did a switcheroo here where I came first and then they came later. So I don't have that experience of being raised um, in the U.S., for example, by by my parents, even though, you know, my parents, you know, parents, they they always try to like parent you no matter what age you are. And so I can't pretend to know what that's like, but that's one of the reasons why I, I wanted us to have this you know, conversate these conversations today to hear from from those children themselves. You know, these are young adults, but I'm using the term children here very loosely. We also know that there's a lot of stress that comes with being the child of an immigrant, you know, being different, speaking a different language, possibly going to school and having a different kind of lunch. I worked in schools for many years, and so there were days that I got to have conversations with, with kids whose lunch were not lunchables, you know. They weren't school lunches. They were homemade lunches. And especially in elementary school, that's not that's not always easy, opening up your, your bowl of food or opening up your lunch bag and knowing that your lunch looks different, it smells different, and it tastes different. And, you know, we don't, I don't feel like we talk about it that much. And especially for... For older, you know, for older children um, who are in, say, like like high school, there's this way in which there's a parentification that comes, I think really from middle school, that comes with being the child of an immigrant. And in many ways, for those of us who are adults now, it's so normalized. We make jokes about it. We talk about it and things like that. But I, I can't imagine, you know, having to help your parents make certain decisions just because you speak the language and your parents maybe don't. When I say the language, I mean English. And, you know, having to, to deal with that stress and being exposed as a child to things that really should not maybe even, like, concern you. Or even dealing with the shame of your parents being different and coming to school and maybe needing a, a translator. Or even as an adult, having to, like, take your parents to the hospital and having to explain, you know, hey, you know, my parents don't speak English and they're going to need an interpreter and, you know, things like that. And, you know... I think it was in the midst, yeah, in the, I mean, we're still in the middle of COVID. But some months ago, I had to take my mom to the hospital um, because she wasn't, I had to take her to the ER. She wasn't feeling well. And, you know, we get there and the ladies are like, well, you know, we're not going to be able to let you in. And I'm used to always going to, to doctor's appointments and things like that with my mom so that, you know, my mom speaks English. It's just that sometimes the, the speed of the American accent is just too much for her to catch up with. And so I'm always there to, like, you know, help her understand certain things and also to, like, help her make informed decisions. And so, you know, I get there and they're like, no, we're not going to be able to, to let you in. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm her kind of, like, pseudo-translator. They're like, yeah, no, it's a new policy with the ER. You know, we can only let patients in. I remember being, like, just nervous for her. You know, I was scared, really. Um, and so, like, that's one of the, the hard things about, you know, being being in this position as as the child, as the daughter of, of an immigrant and being in this, you know, new new environment and things like that. And so I, w- I would love to hear from you all, you know, if you are an immigrant with your, you know, parents here or if you're the child of an immigrant, what that's like for you. How are you navigating that? How's that going for you? What are some of the, the funnies? I, sp- I always spend a lot of time you know, talking to my parents about different things and 
you know, they immigrated at the very, you know, at a very older age, I should say, comparatively. And so they have a very different outlook on things. And so, you know, I'm trying to explain taxes to them, trying to explain like all these different things. And they always have questions. And I mean, I'm glad to answer them. And at the same time, like, I'll be honest, sometimes it gets exhausting. So, you know, even as a child of an immigrant, I can imagine having to like explain all these different things to your parents and just feeling like, does this ever end? Or am I going to have to continue to like explain all these things or do all these different things for my parents? And there's this role that you start to play almost as a parent of your parents that is not, it's not easy at all. And especially when you talk to your um, American or Western friends about it, they don't understand it. You know, they're like, oh, well, you know, you should, in the therapy world, you should differentiate and let your parents figure all these things out by themselves. But there's also me. If I don't do it, who else is going to do it? You know, there might be siblings and, and things like that, but they might not even be familiar with navigating the systems like some of us are. So it's so complex. You're trying to be, you know, an individual, trying to be independent. And at the same time, there's your family system, which you cherish. So it's it's a very complex experience that comes with lots of joys, laughter, and and sometimes it's rough because you want to go out and party and your parents are like, no, that's not how we do things back home. You're supposed to be home by this time and blah, blah. And as a woman, you shouldn't go out too late. And <laughs> I know for me, one of the struggles, like, at this my big age, some some years ago, my parents first came. My dad got upset because I went out and I, I didn't come home late. I didn't come home early. And I remember getting a text from him like, you know, are you coming home? So, of course, I, you know, I, ignore, I ignore it. And I'm thinking to myself, bro, like, I've been living in this country by myself for, I don't know. At that point, it was probably, like, almost a decade. And I've been going out and coming whenever I want to. <laughs> And then all of a sudden you're trying to come here and quote unquote parent me and you're trying to tell me what to do and where to go. I'm like, no, we don't do that over here. We don't do that over here. <laughs> also, I think my dad listens to this. So I, should, I should probably stop at this point. Hi, dad. I love you. <laughs> all right. So like I said, I want to hear from you all. The inbox is always open. Send your comments, your reactions, your questions to is with Phoebe at gmail.com. I had to like think for a moment. IS with Phoebe at gmail.com. It's always lovely to to be on here with you. And I hope that the rest of the week is wonderful for you because you know, life is short. Buy that dress, buy those shoes. You might not have anywhere to wear them to yet. Let's be honest, you might not. But this is not going to last forever. And remember to mask up, all right? Have a wonderful week and I'll be back next week. Ciao.